0: Hey up loves, welcome back to Dance In. We have a super special guest this week, hailing from Sheffield, Yorkshire, the man himself, Corbin Shaw. Corbin is a super close friend of ours and he's one of the most talented artists around. Now I can't lie, I know some of you struggle to understand my accent, and for those people, best of luck understanding Corbins. We chat everything from our northern roots, fitting in with the CSM Goths, and exhibiting with some of his favourite artists. As usual when you were finished with this, head over to the bonus content for his spot recommendations and the audience questions. And when you finish that, head over to our Reddit at r slash danceblading to let
1: us know what you thought of the app. Big love, enjoy. You two are northern. Is that where you guys met each other? In the north.
0: We've always just kind of been mutuals on Instagram or whatever. Well do
2: you know how we met in person? Er uh, outside Bricklayers probably. Met at Bricklayers. I've been networking. And then through that, you shared one of my flags. And then it did well. So off the back of that, <laughs> I was like, fair enough. I like this kid. <laughs> I've give back to someone who's given me. I'm always like that though. If I ever work with anyone, anyone does that for me, I'll just, I'll give them some. I'm quite soft like that, but. You are. Yeah. So then we met outside Bricklayers. Uh, you were probably spouting a load of shite about Northern Soul as per, showed me a KTF uh, <laughs> tattoo as per. And then, yeah. It was love at loafers, really, wasn't it? It was, because we met then, and that was really sweet. And we
0: remember thinking, as if we have never met before. But the time that we got really close was when we were at Shoreditch House, and me and you went upstairs for a fag. And we just laid on the sunbed and just chatted shite for a good... Went out for a sig break. We've gone for about 20, 25 minutes. Can't let people know I've got Shoreditch house. I
1: was going to say, I think we now need to work out how you guys have changed. You were like sort of the earth northern boys, and now you're sitting on sundown just at Shoreditch house. We're now drinking white wine on a podcast, chatting about Shoreditch house memories. I'm disgusted by that. So I think let's try and get some kudos back and find out a bit about your sort of the earth roots. Corbin Shaw, you grew up in Sheffield. Your mum had a barbershop.
2: Yes. And I think that influenced quite a lot of your life, would you say? Yeah, I actually got a job at my mum's barber shop because I stole my sister's debit card when she was at uni and spent a big part of it on iTunes like music.
0: <laughs> what, As... were you, uh, what were you What looking at? What was the uh, what music? the albums? Yeah,
2: I don't know. I was all over the place, really. I like when I grew up like listening to like indie. I guess, from my sisters, but mainly, like, punk from my dad and Northern Soul. But then as I got to, like, a teenage, I was a bit, like, got, like, access to all this music. I can do kind of whatever I want. And around that time, i have probably started exploring hip-hop and a lot of dance music. I remember the time my dad actually came into my room once and I was listening to Kanye and he was like, turn this fucking shit off now. (laughs) He was like, I raised you on the jam and now you listen to this. But yeah, I stole that debit card and I was buying all these albums, pretending to my sister that I was ripping them off Wire, which I wasn't. Hold on, I want to know, how much did you spend? I think I spent about 600 quid. (laughs) quid. Fucking hell for so long i didn't realize that you could buy the whole album and get so i was buying just like single songs that just i it was it was bad i remember my dad saying to me he's like a liar's all right but a thief i <laughs> shut your fingers off son <laughs> i got in so much trouble i got grounded all summer and then my mum was like "To pay for it back you have to work at the barber shop is it just
0: sweeping hair or actually sweeping hair, hair
2: yeah sweeping hair making cups of tea for people cleaning mirrors but with the barber shop, mm. when you were saying about
0: hearing the conversations that you'd hear in your mum's barbershop,
2: tell us about some of those. Who I am, I guess, is learning how to be a man from my dad through <clears> football. <throat> and then the conversations that I would have had with men in the barbershop and them sort of passing things down to me and saying, this is what's cool. What year are we talking? 2012 actually I had this really weird transition period where like my dad wanted me to be a mod skinhead so I had like the Parker 501s like Doc Martens and then in that time I kind of Rebelled against it. I'd be skating, but I had like a mod haircut. So, there's these photos of me that I'm like, I'm wearing like odd future shirts and like baggy jeans and shit, and like lakais. I've got a mod haircut, and it's the weirdest. The well end. Yeah, the well end. So, I was like in between two things all the time. When I used to go to the barbershop and to football, to be fair, with my dad. Who'd you spot? Chef United, obviously, up the blades. I kind of learned from an early age that wearing things gains respect and I was quite shy so I thought I can peacock with this and I can wear something and then people will chat to me because of it and I've kind of done that my whole life if I kind of be a bit out there maybe someone will chat to me and I'll gain some respect I'd go to the barbershop people come in and be like oh you hell, you're quite smart like and they then start talking to you about their memories of that shoe or those jeans or that polo then they go oh so what bands are you into into this oh you'd really like this and then you know that sort of exchange would happen I I had a Parker as well that I went to football with it had these patches on it and stuff and I had a few badges like like probably one from my dad which were like football related but my dad's mates would come and they'd be like oh it's brilliant that he's into this culture and you've kind of like passed it down to him saying to my dad they would bring me like badges and patches and things for me to put on my Parker. so I'd come and they'd like all have these like stories around them so still got it now which is kind of like it's really nice kind of like collage of all these different men who were around my dad and their culture and their experience of it and then my own so it's like a mashup really so it's got like badges and patches from them and then shit that I've put on so it's like got the lottery ticket that's turned into a patch and you know and like letters and stuff on the back like I wrote on the back of my parka I'm never going to be one of the faces which is like kind of like a bastardisation like quote from Quadrophini is like yeah, where she's like are you going to be one of the faces and he's like I am one of fucking faces <laughs> in that supermarket I learnt a lot about myself in that time and how and what I could wear and how it could gain respect really
1: where were you getting these style cues from then? you're there talking about mod stuff but then also wearing like odd future
2: my dad kind of took me along that and then i was a bit like "Mm, i don't really i don't really care about that anymore i think like a lot of people with kind of what tyler Creator did in odd future i always look back and i think i actually don't really like the music that much but the culture and what they created and the ideology that you know what he said is like if i want to be a table i can be a fucking table that (laughs) was so inspiring and it felt genuine it's okay to be weird and like that idea that you could connect with someone who them in their bedroom had created this world for themselves that they live in and now they're kind of like publishing it to the world he is i think such an icon for our generation of like you can be from somewhere boring but you can dream outside of that by like you know through like a skateboard or wearing that like five panel or whatever like he creates worlds that you can live in but yeah it would have been through instagram and skate mags and then you know i, I did that whole thing at that time as well i've been like oh yeah I've been listening to this for ages but I haven't. (laughs) In your Corsa? Corsa was after that so it would have been like odd future five panels skinny jeans as well that time and then like Janoskis as well. Yeah classic. I kind of saw skateboarding and like the skinhead thing as two completely different things they don't really match up and I was always between those two worlds and I think that skateboarding for me allowed me to be creative whereas like modernism and skinhead culture I felt like I was just kind of following the pattern of what had come before that's kind of what I've realised now is that I can wear things and reference that in that way like I know it sounds daft but like my shoes that I've got on right now what are like you wearing? tabby loafers they look alien but they look like traditional as well at the same time it's like you can reference the past but do it in a modern way getting hung up on nostalgia it like is a very very damaging thing it, you kind of then start harking back to oh the good old days and I think as well what a lot of people do is that they adopt past culture that's not theirs but you can do that in reference yeah you know it's it's fine but yeah i just thought that going to football i never really felt like that was my crowd then i found skateboarding and then i found all these people it was like actually they listen to like punk they listen to you know like dance music or whatever like all these people from all over a similar generation like when i was at football i was speaking to like old men and blokes like (laughs) the lads who are my age at football they didn't really fuck with me so like we didn't speak they yeah. were up in the corner on the cop, but I was, like, down, further down. My dad sat there because he never wanted me to be a part of that culture because my dad was a football hooligan growing up. So he's like, you're going to come with me, almost like on a safari park through Sheffield watching this violence happen. And I could see it through glass and he'd kind of go, look, that's there, don't fucking do that. You know, I've <laughs> done that and how, this is how it went for me. Yeah, I'd saw a lot of shit. Still very much scared of violence, but I box growing up. My parents sort whole ethos is like we're toughening you up for the real world, tough love, really. Yeah. But my mum's a lot harsher than my dad. Like my mum would rather like she says, I would rather watch you start to drown and then help you out than let you float, is what she says. Yeah. She's Didn't like let you flow. <laughs> yeah, it's what she said. She's <laughs> like, my my mum bless. My mum is an absolute icon. Like, I love that woman so, so much. I was speaking to her before I got here on the phone. What she's gone through in her whole life. You know, I take that every day into everything that I do. You know, she grew up in Sheffield, she's moved about, she's an accident child. All the siblings were a lot older than her. You know, she pretty much brought herself up. And like, learnt a trade. She was told that she was stupid the whole time. She's very dyslexic, like, in her generation of people. Like, you would never have had help for that. My mum told her dad that she was really finding it difficult at school and couldn't spell. So my dad, my granddad, threw a dictionary at her and said, fucking learn to read that. (laughs) Like, my mum. What (laughs) DL? My mum used to get washed in the sink she lived in a caravan for a bit the person that she is she's incredible she brought me and my three sisters up while learning to cut hair as well going to college she used to take us to college and they'd feed us as well and then she'd do her first bit and then they and then she'd take us to school after i I, honestly i I don't speak about her enough and i'm i feel wrong about and i really really do want to make work and explore that space the barber shop because It is so interesting about how men are looking at themselves and reflecting and sat in that chair. And this barbershop seat is a little bit like a confession booth in like a church or something. It's a little bit like how you'd probably find it easier to chat to someone about something really deep in your life when you're on a car journey because you're not actually looking at each other. Do you think that obviously you you really explore like (laughs)
1: themes of masculinity in your work. Mm -hmm. But like I didn't realize you had three sisters and obviously the affection you have for your mum. Do you think that's what sort of informed your sort of different viewpoint on masculinity then?
2: Definitely people feel like like masculinity is in crisis because that a lot of men have been raised by their mums and they probably and there's this like tension between the dad and the mum because dad would be he'd be at work from you know like six in the morning get home at six in the evening and I'm I really I'm around my sisters my mum and my grandma bringing me up and I think that All the time in my family, there was this tension between, well, I wouldn't do it like that, or I wouldn't tell him to do that but then my you know like but my mum in a way was quite masculine my mum at school she got an asbo she fought people she threw chairs at people you know she's from quite a broken home bless her but she had to fight for everything that she's got my mum wasn't really the sort of person who, like when I was little at school when I got in a fight if I was like oh you know I've got a hit today blah, blah blah she'd be like we well, go back there and you and you punch them and you hit some choices, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> and like my mum was actually the one who took me to boxing like not my dad yeah yeah yeah. but she had a different perspective I wouldn't be an artist now if it wasn't for my mum so when I was little I was really hyperactive I think I've got a dhd I don't know I'm not self-diagnosing I'm not being like one of those (laughs) people I'd be like zipping about the house bouncing off the walls whatever and then um, she'd be like right Corbin let's sit down let's like calm down and let's draw and she'd make me draw and like my mum is creative yeah but she was never allowed like time money or space to do that or explore that But she does that in her barbering, which is creative, which she always explains to me is sculpture, but with hair. So yeah, she would make me sit down and draw. We'd do all these things together. Like she made me draw just like objects. They bought me this book of like how to draw Simpsons characters. And I got (laughs) really, really good at it. At school, I would do commissions where I would draw my friends... As Simpsons characters <laughs> and they'd pay me like five quid and I'd go to like corner shop to post office somewhere and then buy about like a bag of sweets or something and then walk home with him and be dead chuffed. Is that still the rate? Yeah. yeah. Do you reckon I, I, you I can honestly, still do it? I want to see what we look like. Do you reckon I can still do it? Yeah. I think to an extent, I probably just could draw a bar. Like, because I was, I was obsessed. If I went away and thought about it, I could draw, I probably could draw you as a Sips character. <laughs> if you thought, I'll give you a fiver. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. So I was wondering, how did you
0: go from Skate Park dressing like a mod to CSM? What was the gap that made you think, I want to study art seriously? Like, was there a, a light bulb moment or did you always kind of realise
2: this is the career path I want to go down? Right. So between Skate Park Corbin, which is, I guess, odd future era, Corbin and first week at CSM, dressing like you just got back from your first ever time in Berlin, Corbin. <laughs> yeah so between there and then there was Corsa Corbin and uh love Corsa Corbin Corsa Corbin can we bring him back please Corsa Corbin was very confused about who I was where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do the only thing I was good at was art uh, at school but I kind of started to neglect it I got quite cocky with it which I remember at a parents evening they were like Corbin's like pissing about blah, blah blah and I was like I don't know if I can be bothered anymore doing this I bought my Corsa because I wanted to buy into the lifestyle of being one of those boys a lad i guess yeah by chance hopefully gets me the attention of a girl i lived in the suburbs of sheffield so i lived in Hill. so if i wanted to go to town like i had to walk to the next village getting what a car then was like I can half just enough. drive to town it's like half an hour it's brilliant it's um, a world of opportunity yeah it just opens up everything else I'm still skating a bit I was I was skating but like I was the courser boy in the village <laughs> and then in town I was skating but the sort of skating culture in Sheffield well more the BMX culture in Sheffield is a bit ravey Sheffield yeah. is the home of like baseline when I was like 16, 17 it kind of had a resurgence so like garage had a resurgence and so did Baseline back home but it's kind of like a a microculture like it was kind of happening there but it was like that and I don't know if it's called Scouse House but like Tom Zanetti (laughs) was also Tom Zanetti um, was a big part of Baseline back in the day yeah yeah. you're like Jack in House yeah so Jack in House back in like 2012 kind of evolved into what it was In Sheffield, which was whatever this scouse housey thing, and like people like Tom Zanetti and Jamie. So, Jamie Duggan, who was like a massive name in the baseline scene in the 2000s, famous club called Niche. That he he used to DJ at and DJQ from Huddersfield. It's like DJQ. Yeah, it's such no a like Yorkshire <laughs> culture. Like it if is. you grew up in Yorkshire, like you know baseline. Like every house party, you can't escape it. Like if you just walk like walking about like in that era, a car has driven past with yeah. that noise playing at you. It yeah. just it's it's just a part of you. When I was like really young, so like around eight or something my best mate at the time his older brothers were like in there like they were like 18 19 so they were like going to town and they would have been going to niche and they were wearing like ed hardy like shocks uh tn caps (laughs) proper scally yeah so scally and like we like i wore that when i was little because all the clothes that they had they passed them down to me i remember i had this sick gray like nike shocks tracksuit where it was like gray bottoms with like a bit of uh, like a luminous green detailing and then like (laughs) shoes to match and then the the top was a vest with a hood i just thought it was the (laughs) hardest thing ever i wore that thing so so much anyways back to sort of like 2016 corbin yeah baseline's having a resurgence so i'm going to baseline raves in town at the Harley, there would be tank nightclub. And that was like all oh, that sort of I shuffling, of tank. That shuffling
0: was... music. It's like, you know... You... Did they have one of those boards that you hold up so they'd pass it around? No, that probably is Corp. I swear I remember people saying on Facebook that they were going to
2: tank. And they would have been 14, 15-year-old girls. And it was an 18 overnight. So my best mate, who's the one from the story from earlier with his brothers handing me down clothes. I had that brother's ID that said I was part Italian and 27. <laughs> <laughs> i look nothing like this id this obviously this sort of run of me going out ended at some point because i tried i tried my luck and i tried going to like a club that was more i don't know just they they are you know like these clubs they, they know you're underage but they let yeah. you in anyway they so just like,
0: say they just want numbers through the door and they just kind of say exactly. i saw
2: an id i didn't
0: realize it wasn't him Yeah, Yeah.
2: so I tried it on with another one like further in town which wasn't tank and one night they took it off me I had this copper shouting in my face being like are you fucking stupid blah blah and I was like I'm just trying to have a nice night to be honest (laughs) just having a bit of fun just having a lovely time Yeah What what would always be it'd be like We'd be in the local pub in the village, in the station, in the Corsair at Corbin. He basically <laughs> tried to adopt the visual language of those boys by like wearing skinny jeans, the top man button up shirt, and like maybe, I think maybe like a Roche run or something at the time. Yeah, rush. So Rushy. yeah, we'd be yeah, in right. the pub. Those conversations would happen. It'd be like, Shall we go town? You know, I'm a classic case of if your mate jumps off a bridge, you would too. <laughs> so <laughs> it, my, that, my best mate when I was younger, Harley, he, um, he'd be like, Come on, let's do it, let's go town. And like, so we'd end up in some car on the way to town. And then by chance, a lot of the time, we'd turn up at Tank Nightclub and Tom Zanetti was just playing. Because Tom Zanetti he's is a Leeds, legend. Isn't he? Yeah, he's a Leeds legend. Just so many times we'd be just going to that sharp music. There was loads of these times where like, it was in this period where I had a realisation moment that like, so we'd go out, it'd be kind of all right. Harley, my best mate at the time, he was like six foot two, absolutely gorgeous, part Italian, honestly stunning. <laughs> Boys wanted to be him. Girls wanted him to be in them, <laughs> but, so he'd go out and he'd kind of get beefed by a lot of boys for the attention that he got for the girls, and then there'd be like fights, and then we'd be around like all these kind of like football boys. Me and him never really fit into it, but he'd he'd end up scrapping someone, and then like because we lived kind of like half an hour out of town, we'd been we couldn't afford the taxi home, yeah, because the taxi home was like fifty quid. <sighs> and like we're both I'm working at a service station at this time I'm cleaning tables he didn't have a job it was so many times we'd just be in that bus station and he'd like be all like ripped up like shirt and bloody and then we'd just kind of be like what the fuck what's the what are we doing here like what we need to like we need to do something else we need to get out of this basically
1: okay so this is the question (laughs) is at what point did you go art is something that i want to pursue and it can be something that i can be involved in
2: did you have to study something before
0: art like did you have to choose all the subjects
2: well no so like i did sixth form sixth form i did art music and photography i got a in both art and photography but in that time i was like i'm gonna either gonna pack this in and work my dad and be a welder or sounds like that billy piper thing doesn't it you know from dr who she's like (laughs) i could go out with my mates or or toss it all in for danger um I kind of got an ultimatum by, a, by one of my teachers who was like do your art what you're good at or do whatever you like sort of thing I just basically got an absolute bollocking at a parent's evening and I was like okay I really do need to put my ideas up as well one of the tutors had been to Leeds College of Art and was like go there that will make a lot of sense because I was actually at the time because I had no idea what to do I was going to try and get a course in shoe design because I just sick. loved shoes. And then they were like, go and do foundation, work out what it is that you want to do, and then from there. But I was started started at Leeds College of Art. For me, felt like- It's quite prestigious in a sense. Yeah, Damien Hirst went there. Barbara Hepworth, Henry Moore went there. Keith Lemon went there, whatever his real name is. Lee Francis. Lee Francis went there, yeah. There's other people on that list of alumni that are pretty mad, but I forgot them. So I went to Leeds College of Art and it was just so life-changing. It's probably like the best year of my life, maybe. It was like all the freaks from the north (laughs) plus 10% of posh London kids coming up because they were like, Leeds College of Art is one, good. And then Leeds two is cheap. And three, the nights out are sick. Yeah, I got there and I was like, wow, this is exactly where I need to be. But I started doing graphics. I was like... I don't want to do this I want to be an artist I don't know why I took that moment of courage because I was so shy at the time yeah I started doing art there bit by bit I just realised that my brain the way that it thinks because I'm like this in conversation you probably hear this i fucking listen to it back but like I can't I'm so all over the place I'm like thinking I'm about one thing while the next idea or whatever it is is coming like a train to the next one do you know what I mean? Like, I'm constantly going on and on and on and I'm, like, a bit over the top, really. And I kind of jump <laughs> about all over the place. So I realised at Leeds College of Art that art isn't about what you can make with your hands. It's about ideas. A harsh lesson to learn, but the best that I found, I just started doing weird shit, like, and being quite experienced. <laughs> I Around really, really lovely people that encouraged it, where... My practice back in Leeds College of Art was actually me dancing in public spaces, which is funny because I actually made something like that. Well, like on the tail end of 2020 where I danced in a factory next to him. Yeah, it's in the factory next to where my dad works with that sort of mix of uh, music, but... Yeah, at Leeds College of Art, I was doing dances in public spaces about how people move around spaces. Weird. went there, and then they said you should try this, this, and this unit. The one I keep always think about is the, the one thing that pisses me off is that like they said if you want to go to Goldsmiths, you've got to write um, an essay to get in. And I was like, well, I'm I can't write very well. Like I, I don't speak very well, so I don't I can't write very well. So that put me off that. And then Slade, the top one, I was like. They were like, you need a language. I was like, I I can't speak speak English. Never mind, speak another language. Um, so, I didn't, so I didn't try that. Tried CSM and then went for my interview and I was just so shocked because they were like, please consider going here. Like, we'd love to have you. And I was like, I can't no believe likes. it. I only knew about CSM before that because Jarvis Cocker mentions it in Common People. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to go. I knew that going to CSM validated what I did because that, the friction that was caused between me and my parents when I said, I want to go to London to do art was a lot. Like I got put like there was a lot of shit, that the conversation between me and my parents where they're like, How they are you gonna f- afford that? What you're gonna do? And I, I was just like, I need to do it, I wanna do it. But in my head at the time, because I was still kind of skating, I'd kind of always looked to London through skateboarding whereas like it was this sort of like mecca. Mecca of like culture that I just wanted to be a part of. It just looked so exciting. Through seeing a lot of palace videos, I was like, wow, that is like what I need to be involved in. So yeah, just got my got my interview at CSM and then they let me in, but it wasn't without like a lot of shit off mum and dad. That is the one thing that my parents always come back to and they go, you were right about it. You said I should move to London and we said no and you know, I'm so happy that you did but yeah then I got to CSM whole fit check whole vibe check I was going to say did you have a rebrand? I had a rebrand yeah (laughs) so so what what were we rocking up on
1: day one to school
2: in? so yeah I went from like uh, like a Henry Lloyd and like a Visu's and 95's (laughs) with the crop haircut I kept the crop haircut right moved to London dyed my hair black stopped watching anime for some reason So, so shy. So I was so shy that I couldn't come out my room. I bought myself a kettle and a mini fridge. I was so scared to go to the kitchen to make anything, so I would eat like tinned food that was cold in my room and not come out i remember You're like joking. it was I like i was so n- i went to the i went to the fridge one day to try and make cup of tea and get the milk out the fridge and i was literally sat there shaking <laughs> like a leaf and i was just like i'm never gonna do it again dyed my hair black cut it into a bowl cut started wearing like you know do you remember i remember when i moved was the when the jw anderson Uniqlo club came out and they made this women's top that was high it was like cropped on the waist and long arms and it had all these dangly bits that came off it and it was black and it was a roll neck and i used to wear that and some cyber dog trousers that were really wide (laughs) (laughs) and i had like new rock boots on because like the thing was that when i was back at leeds like (laughs) i was watching bad (laughs) but like when i was back when i was in leeds i saw all this i like all the id videos that were being put up of like you know like charles jeffrey in london like and what they were doing as a group i was just like that is that looks so exciting. Like I wanna be with those people. I want to see what they're doing. I want to know. You know, like I, I just I would see all these students from CSM and what they were wearing, what they were doing, and the, all these parties and the music. And like at this time I'm like, because I'm transitioning from like bassline and jungle music into like uh, the Smiths. uh like no not the Smiths, like industrial <laughs> sort of like I just like electronic music. Yeah like hyper pop is like happening like yeah. very undertones of it, but it's like it's coming up. So I'm sort of like, listen, so I would have found... It is like you say, it, it's fucking Berghain. Yeah, it was like, and I did go to Berlin and my like first year of CSM. Basically, yeah, so I like came with that look and got that CSM. I was just like, all my dreams and everything were shattered by the fact that it just wasn't the same as Leeds College of Art and the people were different. And like, I then noticed this massive difference between me and the people around me that had grew up around art and been what I felt was more privileged than I was. I just couldn't see eye to eye. I also had so much like insecurity about my art history background. When I started CSM, what I felt I knew was the kind of like now that's what I call music. Sort of like (laughs) sort of like, you know, the top top things that people get into when they first start exploring music. I knew just like Grayson Perry and you know like you know Andy Warhol and shit like that. Yeah, the greatest hits. Yeah the greatest hits. And basically I'd kind of talk in crits and people would laugh at me. Like the people like I just wouldn't I just didn't get it. and like my, I was just kind of like so far off, but I was really determined to kind of like learn more, and I've always hungry to. But then, yeah, I'd go, go to these galleries in in like central London and stuff, and I'd I would I couldn't find anything where. I just felt alienated by it. I was kind of down here thinking I might have made a wrong decision here. I don't know why I decided to do art. There's no art around that kind of feels like it speaks to me. I went to Tate Britain one day and I saw Dream English Kid by Mark Leckie. I sat there and I watched it on repeat for about six times or something, just watching every little bit of it and like, why is that there? I just felt like there was so much that I loved, but I was confused of why I loved it. And I wanted to learn why it was that I loved that, And there's still so much of that work that I come back to and I try and understand and I'm I'm not fully there. It was just something about it. It just, I don't know. That is the reason why you go to galleries, isn't it? And like art and culture, music, anything like clothes, whatever it is these things offer us these sort of like portals outside of the mundanity of our like everyday lives that's why you go and see films or you play a video game like you want to be in that world for i yeah. don't know an hour or two or whatever it is that's what escapism. that's why we need those things that is, that is that's pure escapism yeah I saw i saw that work and it just completely changed my life and i was like i know that i need to make art but At CSM, I was making the art that I thought people wanted to see. So what art were you making at the time? I was making really dead work about how people fit in spaces. So I honestly, talking about it makes me feel so sick. Yeah, like (laughs) I'd like go into public spaces and get a friend to take photos of me and how I could fit like under a bench. At what point
1: did you start really finding your voice?
2: Yeah, so I kind of got really homesick. I didn't feel like a connection with anyone there or see anyone. I sort like I love I loved the work like some of the artwork that I saw, but then I realised the best thing for me to do is to be more of me, and that's more interesting. I mean, I did an interview with my dad. Actually, I read a I read Grace and Perry's Descent of Man, and that then led me to make this interview with my dad and his relationship with his dad and how he treated him, and then how he's changed to how he treated me and brought me up. And then I filmed it. In our house, and it's like my dad and his polo and his joggers, with his cup of tea and like <laughs> his pet pug in his hands, with his tattoos <laughs> and his chains and stuff. And like I put it on and played it, and people were just like, didn't realise who I was, where I was from, and like my family. Like obviously, I was like every other goth at the time. <laughs> well, yeah. Like well, when I when I moved to CSM, I I like I tried to get rid of Max, and I you know I like really tried to get rid of who I was because I didn't think that that was very like it, I didn't think it was smart i thought yeah. it was wasn't very stupid. csm so it's... yeah i just thought i need to sound intellectual so i need to drop my accent i need to dress better i need to like look more than i am that's a very like aspirational working class thing is that you want to like escape out of it by doing yeah. things like you break back the I saying, yeah like that was like saying when i was younger i realized that wearing something i could that could speak for me without me actually saying anything so that's kind of what i was doing but i basically just start addressing how i dressed when i was younger or how i dressed when i went to football and then It was people were a bit like, oh, it's, you know, he's kind of doing this thing. It's kind of a bit performative in a sense, but it was the most me thing that I could be but yeah then I made my first work that I properly made was a sculpture with my dad after we'd made that interview I, um, I sketched basically we made a metal rep, like replica of the house that he grew up in so it was like a doll's house but I like drew it all up from his house and then one day I went to his work and um, we cut it all out and he welded it all and like sure. it was an amazing moment where like obviously everything that I'd been I'd learnt and been taught and then went off and done my own thing that I brought it back to where I'm from and the first work that I actually made was with my dad and and like through all that shit them arguments of you know like he always wanted me to do what I love it was just that yeah making that work I then gained a lot of respect that because I, I worked at my dad's like firm but I never really had respect for him because I wasn't like working alongside him or seeing his yeah. craft and the thing is, is that when somebody's welding you actually can't watch so because it's so bright you have to wear a visor so when my dad welds he closes the door so I have to go and sit in the office or like I'd have to go and like sweep the floor or you know whatever sometimes I, he would like I would sit with him and I'd watch him do it but you can't see anything through that visor like all you're seeing is this, this little light and it almost it's kind of like a near-death experience really (laughs) it's like that light at the end of the tunnel sort of thing but yeah i i I tried doing a bit of it and i was like this is so tough and then he literally was so mad because the the steel was so thin that if you would have gone down all the bits of it it would have warped the whole thing so he just spot welded it and the way it was like watching an f like f1 car driver having like a pit stop and watching the wheels get taken off he literally just like bang, bang, bang 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 went down and after it he like looked at me and i was just like that was fucking incredible like I'd I'd never seen him in that way always like hold my dad high regard but at that moment it was like whoa like you are incredible what you do like my dad's welded since he was 16 years old so he's like he's good but yeah it was just like and and making that was just such a nice experience oh fuck off (laughs) yeah just that was the first thing that I'd made that was kind of about where I was from properly so how did you find your identity to
0: where you got to now with mainly the flags and the football was this at CSM or did this kind of happen afterwards?
2: No, no. So I made that house at the end of first year. Going into second year, I presented it. How long are you at CSM for? Three years. Right. Um, and then in second year, I I just started, like, being interested in who I was and, and my culture. And what, my, like, my definite, definition of culture was. And, like, my difference between the people there like I was kind of kind of getting a bit class warrior with it and being like this is who <laughs> I am this is my culture my sort of flag in the ground Yeah, and uh, going like you know take a look at this like you probably don't know what it's like like this you know you've probably never been past Watford so (laughs) this is what it looks like but yeah so then I chatted to my dad once about all the stuff that I'd read in that Grayson Perry book and there's a lot of it that's about mental health and men and how uh, men speak to each other and how uh, they pass down these traits and this stiff upper lip and where that all comes from like post-war and industrialization of Britain and like having to be strong and make the money and, and you know for the family etc which is such a prominent thing in the north um, but yeah and like that attitude and looking at how that sort of that masculinity was kind of no longer needed in a post-industrial Sheffield where those jobs don't exist anymore yeah but my dad kind of being one of the last ones but like my granddad was a bricklayer, and then my dad is a welder. And so I just started asking him about... So I'd asked him about his dad, and then I started asking him about his friends and what it was like growing up in Baiton in a mining village. And he just started speaking about how all his mates worked down pit, but he didn't want to do that because he thought it was just... It looked horrible. Um, so he went to be a welder. And then he told me a story about his one of his best mates that he grew up with, who um he went to football with. And, like, later on in life, his wife left him, and then he unfortunately committed suicide and all the blokes in the area had made these sort of flags as uh, a tribute to him and i found some of them and i was just like blown away at how these rigid blokes were expressing themselves through flags and i just thought there was something so beautiful and subtle in that and i wanted to explore it so then i made a flag which was a parody of a chef united flag which was um it's like a three-tier flag that says we ate wednesday which is obviously our rival club and i thought what if football fans made flags about love for each other and like looking out for one another looking out for your friends i just also hit the zeitgeist of culture in england talking about men's mental health especially in football as well yeah so i was very lucky with that and made this flag that said we should talk about our feelings so was that the first one that's the first ever flag yeah And then I remember I made it, it was so bad. And there's pictures of me making it actually on my flat, in my old flat on the floor on Holloway Road. And like, I'm like drawing around the letters and cutting it out with just like normal scissors. And there was, I tried actually at first hand sewing the whole thing, but my I had a sewing machine. So my mum actually gave me a sewing machine to make that work because I was speaking about it. I was like, I want to sew a flag. And uh, she's like, well... Why don't you have our old sewing machine that I used to take your trousers up with for school? So I took that hobby machine, it's like a little Singer tradition thing and I still use it now, uh which probably nice. sounds bad to anyone who still like buys my work. But um, <laughs> I, like yeah, so I took that and I made and I made that first flag um, but yeah. There's a like lack
1: of Singer sewing machines mm. in the world because all sorts of fucking stuck no, in Windows. It's true. Is it like, actually? Oh, what
2: the old ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine's, yeah. Not, mine's not like a Victorian wheel one. It's, That's it's... <laughs> how I imagine that you. No, uh, no, are no, no, corpse. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not like can't, can't No, it's before. not. It's not like peaky blinders. I'm not like sat in a flat cap uh, <laughs> sewing these things. We um, actually
0: do have one at our home in Driftfield, where it's the um, you know the whole workbench, where it's a sewing machine, but you press it with the foot pedal. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's part of the bench. Yeah, I just found that fascinating. They're that gorgeous. was the original
1: sewing machine. It's so gorgeous. Yeah. So you you're using the sewing machine yep. and you made this rickety old flag.
2: <laughs> I made the shite flag. Um, and then I put that out there. That's kind of like crickets. Had I'd you like, graduated by this point? No, no, no. I'm in second year. And then, um, it was around the time of the world cup, uh, in 2018, I want to say. Uh, and then I started photographing because I was living with a photographer at the time. Uh, one of my mates, Tom, who actually shot the thing that we did, uh, for the euros in the, the newspaper thing. And, um, I was watching a lot of, like, photography stuff. And so I started photographing St. George's Crosses, you know, in Sheffield, in London, in Hastings. And, like, I was just looking at how people in, like, at that time were, like... Putting the flags outside their window and being proud about it, but it kind of like this new national identity. That's something that I don't think that I'd ever seen or felt before. Um, especially being in London as well. There's like that London bubble of like multiculturalism, and you know, being at a pub, you can see people from whatever creed or culture wearing an English shirt, and I was sort of fascinated by it. Something that I'd never witnessed growing up in a village that was 99% white people. And um, so I just started. I was fascinated by that. Started taking photos of Saint George's crosses, and then I saw a lot. I was like kind of like looking at the flags on the Terraces, and then I was like, "What if I made something like that?" So I basically took a phrase that my dad used. To, so my dad used to. If I my relationship with my dad is that I love him so much, and he's the best person in the world, and so supportive, but he is he does he has policed my actions every step of the way. Of like like that story, him um, coming in my room and being like, "Don't listen to Kanye West. Listen to the Jam. This is shit." Like <laughs> that being one of them, but if i ever wore something that was like a feet or camp or a bit out there like it was like don't wear that you look soft you know like you've got to be like this, this is what lads do, you know, blah, blah, blah. So my dad used to say to me, like, like, you look like a soft lad, don't wear that, you know, or like, toughen up, you know, that's their their whole, well, my dad's whole motto. Um. So I wrote that flag that said, soften up hard, lad. And then I put that out there. And then that seemed to do, that seemed to get some attention. But I was like, never there. Like, actually, and then around this, t- well, actually, this sounds bad, but I'm going, going back again on my brain. But in first year, before I'd made the flag uh so i made the house between the house and the um and the flag i found this magazine called oof magazine and it was a it was are about football culture but not actually about football it was just football as a vehicle to talk about art and culture and um I saw that and then I was like ah you can actually use football to talk about these things and I basically thought I can use football as my vehicle to talk about masculinity and how that's been passed down um because like I was saying earlier at school I viewed creatives in one sector and football and sports people in the other I didn't think those two things could come across and then finding that and doing it they could but uh yeah i made that first flag and then i don't know what i was, what did i do after that i suppose like
1: you carry on doing art mm-hmm. you carry on with like in regards to style you're still like you've you're now going back to sort of the more traditional corbin look yeah and then you graduate
2: yeah so i'm making the work i'm dressing in sergio tachini 501s and adidas trim traps and then i'm um, what what i've made at this did point? you ever lose your facial identity you said you dye your hair black but
0: as long as i've known you you've always had a blonde lid yeah bleach blonde lid eyebrow piercing yeah. and hoops
2: yeah i always kept the obviously the eyebrow piercing the hoop and the crop haircut yeah so it was just i had a skin fade and i shaved my hair off i went really skinhead Ah. I've always like I don't know if, if this sounds bad, but like I, I I went skinhead, but I also knew that being and wearing skinhead clothes that you're somewhere between this border between hyper masculine and hyper camp, and somewhere between that border that I found interesting, and you can play around with that because I knew that doing that. I could gain respect from my dad and go to the football and look a certain way, and I could go to the SM, and it was almost like that look is then fetishized the other way. Yes, and it's the same with scally culture massively. Um, and I've I just really love that sort of boundary between the two. It's like almost like Love Island boys; they are <laughs> so hyper masculine and so well groomed that it becomes almost it is homoerotic. Yeah, and there's somewhere between that that I find really interesting. I don't know why, but that's just I don't know if that sounds. It's wrong. somewhere
0: between the ideal male physique. Mm and fireman calendar
2: yeah but like men are like uh, that's what i'm kind of interested in my practice that men are obsessed with looking at other men as much as they don't want to admit it they are like we we all form who we are as people from rock stars musicians uh, like rock stars and footballers or whoever that we see in pop culture and we form who we are we're all little collages of those people that we see or like people around us and
0: it's like we say with a haircut, with the with a well-end haircut. Mm-hmm. It's like you could say David Beckham. I don't like him because he's too super groomed. But then they'll dress like Paul Weller. Yeah, you're still fetishizing, man. Yeah. Well, not a man, but, like, you're still idolising a bloke. Mm. And that is a whole thing where men do look at men for either inspiration or I want to be them or what do they have that I don't have.
2: That that mod culture is so much built around that. Like, look at Quadrophenia, the movie. They're obsessed with uh, what, Sting in that movie. What's his yeah. name? What Ace do they call face. It? Ace Face. Yeah, like... He is the top boy. There's always like a top dog that people look to, you know, like that people base their look off, you know, go to Manchester. You'll see so many (laughs) Adidas who are an absolute ripoff of Liam Gallagher. (laughs) It's so true. Like we all do it. Like a lot of my, in my dissertation in third year, at the end of it, I wrote it about how um, football lads, Uh, basically drag up as people like Liam Gallagher. And I was comparing that to sort of characters in drag culture and like their personas. And like thinking about how when we, what we wear and how we present ourselves every day is a performance of that. It's like, if I want to put on, you know, my Sambas, my 501s, my polo and my Parker, and my sunglasses have it, I can go out there and I can pretend to be Liam for the day. Do you know what I mean? Like (laughs) I can be champagne supernova this Saturday just for day. It is stars in your eyes. I think we're all like that, you know, like I was speaking to my mum about it earlier that like, you know, She's, I made a work about when she met my dad for the first time in a pub and she's talking about what she wore and how her hair is and what she's drinking. What she drunk, Baby Sham, was advertised as this thing that it looked posh. So she wanted yeah. to appear a certain way. she just got a job at Castle Market cutting hair, uh, so she had a bit of money. Uh, she wanted to appear sophisticated and older, so yeah. she drunk Baby Sham. She wore dresses and things. She wanted to look like Madonna at the time. You know, it was all these things that, like, you can do and make yourself look how... Or look like what you think is desirable. At you want to look. You want to look champagne supernova in the
0: sky, but your budget says Vauxhall Corsa TDI. Yeah, nice. Exactly.
2: Very nice. Very Thank nice. you very much. You can have that one. Um, but yeah, what were we talking about? To wrap again? up the final. Uh, well, to yeah, wrap up the past section. I think, then
1: I think because we're basically now moving into a section where you, you've come into our lives. Yeah. And yeah. you have really started to establish yourself as an artist. Yeah. Um, so I think. So, I think we've got a really important yeah. question to ask. So, COVID you show, already. <laughs> COVID right. sure.
0: From your past, what is the worst outfit slash trend you've
2: been a part of or worn? I know it. Go on. <laughs> All right. There's one photo of, of me that exists around 2014, right? And I've got a top knot.
0: No way. Uh,
2: there's. And I was I was just coming back from watching the vaccine. <laughs> what
0: did your dad think?
2: In Scunthorpe. Like I'm I'm feeling sick just saying it like, but it I'm just being honest. You know, we've all got flaws, we're all human. I did have a <laughs> top knot unfortunately. But what were you wearing with it? Um I actually had a Fred Perry wax jacket bought from York Outlet, where you used to work. I did used to work there, and that was that was my going out jacket. Sorry, I've realised it's the garages outside. Sorry, right. okay, yeah.
1: So that's so the outfit wasn't as bad as the tr- the trend, which is the top. Yeah, knot, yeah? the, the trend, yeah, knot the, was the worst bit. I blame Jack Guinness for that. <laughs> I blame Jack Guinness for the
2: top. Do you knot. know what Jack, it was? Jack
1: thinks he invented the man bun?
2: This is oh, I yeah, saw. So I heard that on the podcast. Um, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. It's good. Yeah it's uh, maybe the best one i think maybe and oh, no Glens is Glens is goaded <laughs> but dan's is also great as well they're all, good. They're all fucking they're all good, fantastic they're all good um but yeah just do you know what it was as well and like this is an absolute violation of myself just from admitting this but oh there was a time in my sort of gig bit before the ravey bit where i was oh no Go on. so i had that i had that haircut because of matt healy oh no it's 1975
1: i know it's bad this has got so many like similarities to the Simone Murphy podcast. She's got the nineteen twenty five tattoos. They're both dressed the same. Yeah,
0: but Simone's a twenty nine year old super fan. Corbin was fourteen at the
2: time. Sorry, sorry, but we've all got flaws. We all used to be someone else. You know, that's that's how things are. I'm I'm open, and I think you know I see the power in being vulnerable, and I think that being open and being honest is that's I think that gets you far.
1: There you go. And You're I not think, wrong. Yeah, the fact that it gets you far, there's proof in that pudding because right now I'd say you are considered an artist rather than an art student or someone who's you know studying art or wants to make it as an artist. Can kind I, of. No, definitely. So... For me, you blew up during the Euros. Your flag was all over my my timeline. Everyone
2: had this flag.
1: Corbin Shaw is the artist of Euro 2020. Yeah, it was 2020, wasn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah, we basically... I made a newspaper about the rise and fall of England fans that came with a free flag. But it was
0: all satire of the sun as well, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. So my whole work is basically so the font that i use is the is the sun's font and is synonymous with absolute stupid uh you know headlines that come out all the time it's just like statements that mean nothing that are based on nothing so like i was i'm always obsessed with that sort of culture and i do rip from from newspaper headlines as well so it felt like an obvious thing to do so i made the newspaper but the newspaper was like a series of photos that told this story of like the hope and then the crash basically after the loss and we shot it in Four Legs Pub in Finsbury Park shout out Four Legs if you're into burgers go and get the Dexter's cheeseburger Four Legs big up <laughs> best pub in London so yeah we made that newspaper me Sam and Tom my uh, old flatmate who's a photographer yeah it was amazing like we kind of just riffed off a bunch of old I think it's Teddy Sheringham get it all I don't think it's actually Gaza in that photo but it's the dentist chair from the 96 euros that they wrote about them saying that they were disgraceful when you know as England players and whatnot it was that cover and we did that with beers in that pub but yeah it was just making a mockery of England fans and like my whole practice is that England doesn't need its ego inflating like patriotism is just kind of useless really it needs to be knocked down a peg what I'm trying to do with my work all the time is deflate these totems of masculinity like how can I like take something so strong and so bold and just make it just like worthless almost (laughs) and stupid and laughable that, that's what uh, the saint george's crosses i want to like use that as a canvas it becomes a secondary thing to what's written on it it grabs your att- it's a trojan horse it grabs your attention and then it says this other thing on the top it works great for instagram as well because it's text-based i rewrote the national anthem as what was it almost victorious how's it go again almost victorious happy and laborious long reign over us god save the team is what i wrote it as
1: and there were three separate flags.
2: Yeah, so there was the there was the big one that was all the stanzas, and then there was two, there was Happy and Laborious, and then there was Almost Victorious. No, not Almost Victorious, it was God Save the Team. I'm gutted that I didn't do Almost Victorious because that would have gone so well where we're I kind of told... Almost Victorious as well. Yeah, we were Almost Victorious. I'd, I'd like, you know, it all came true. I remember at the end of it, like getting the text through from Patterns to Play that I did that uh, newspaper with, and then being like, well, we did. It was written in the stars, wasn't it? The <laughs> prophecy came true. How did you get it out there then? Was it one moment where you're like, oh shit, this is
1: starting to sell, or like, oh shit, it's people are sharing it? When did you go? Oh, there's a bit of a hit.
2: I don't realise that now. You know, I just thought that we'd made something that re we really liked all the time when I'm making things I'm making them for me you know like Tracy Emin famously said I make art that I'd want to buy and I think I'd I make art that I like and that I like the look of and that if anyone buys it great if they don't they don't but like it was just that it connected with so many people like my whole education on life is like I've, I've I'm just entrenched in pop culture and just crap like the sun and just like daytime telly and all that stuff that I rip from is what I s- seem to be significant
1: You kind of alluded to this earlier, but actually just when you're talking, I think the reason it hit was we started to look at football differently. The way we grew up was like football was a bad thing. People who watched football were bad people. Like it was, there was so much like violence around it. Yeah. That all of a sudden that team, they were quite like nice guys. People liked the England team and it was like people could like them. You know, it was a bit more family friendly to go to the football. For me, I would never ever have an England flag like with me. But it, at that time, I had your flag with me. And I think yeah. that sort of subversion of football culture, it felt okay to be like not a lad and like football, if that makes sense. So yeah. it, it's almost like the timings that it can't, there's it's serendipitous, the timings there. I
0: even think with social media, because back then the newspapers were the be all and end all. They were who had the last word. Mm. And I think the sun was hailed as such a, a mighty, everyone knew it's full of shit, but people still take it as gospel. And I think with social media, we started to realize that it's some people who dominate the news world, essentially. And then we realize, our generation, how full of shit the sun was and how they could just print lies and whatever. And I think your work is a perfect mix of satire, but then meaningful as well. Mm. So it kind of grabs our attention. And for our generation, it's what we need. It is that whole, when we say about reality TV, you love it because it's shit and you love to hate it, but you'll still watch it. Yeah. And it is grabbing you. And I think you've turned it on its head by bringing the satire element, but then putting something meaningful to it. And you've really hit that niche that no one ever seemed to hit before properly.
2: I think I think maybe those flags just represent a new national identity. Massively. It's like those players that are on that pitch that are playing for England and where they've come from in their families and whatnot and... You know, I just, I felt that England needed a rebranding. and and you were the man to do it. (laughs) And I was the man to do it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Is that Max? Max DeSantis with the flag. Jordan showing a photo of
0: Max.
1: (laughs) Which flag is that with? Uh, This is the God Save the Team one uh, at the final.
2: Yeah. I had them out for the Lionesses as well, which was, which felt bad as well. Because it was like going to the Lionesses match felt so much different to watching the men's because like there's an element of like with the men's where I guess even still just supporting England felt it does feel shame shameful there's like so much history of what England and Britain have done across the world and when you put that shirt on you are representing that in a way and like you know all those people out on that pitch and and where they've come from and their families and playing for the side like should be eternally fucking grateful for them even being there and just like with the lionesses it was strange like when we we went to, to a pub my friend booked it uh we come in and uh it's like it's the three crowns in Shoreditch, just above old street we went in and there's like there's big screens up but they're not playing the england match the build-up they're playing celtic's build-up and i'm like this is a bit weird and then we came <laughs> in and it was co- completely vibeless as well and uh we went up to the bar and we said um oh uh, are you gonna are you gonna put the lionesses on and he's like oh do we have to and i was like you've <laughs> advertised it and he's like well you lot must be england fans in it and i was like yeah yeah and then i was like i walked outside and i spoke spoken i was like we've walked into an irish pub in england shirts and asked them to play the lionesses match what the fuck and then i like my mate charlie i was just like why? Out of all the places you could have booked, you booked an Irish <laughs> pub to watch the Lionesses play. It felt bad, obviously, but they did eventually put it on. But I was gutted because the start of it, I think they were trying to cut off where the national anthem bit was. But before the national anthem was where Becky Hill was singing and I want to listen to that because I love Becky Hill.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what has been the favourite flag you have made? Favourite flag? I like the
2: English Dream one. you like, get a job, get a car, get a, get mortgage. a mortgage. That one, which is very like, uh Train spotting, yeah. but yeah, because yeah, that was that was the flag that I met you through. Essentially, I made that, I and then you shared it. It's just it's that sort of like instantaneously get it. It doesn't take much. It's quite as funny, but it's true. It was like that. I was making that about like growing up in the village. It's just like this structure of come out of school, you know, work, you know, uh, do whatever. Get that mortgage or get that car on finance uh, get the house get the girlfriend get married all that stuff and has uh, that was just all that wrapped up i was just able to reflect on it because you can only really reflect on your own culture once i once you're out of it and that's at that point I'd come to, i was like oh this is how it was and uh, yeah. yeah i made that flag and it just seems to do quite well online but well, I think you haven't
0: always just been England flags. You took the identity and you took the flags into everything. I feel like, being from experience as a northerner from the sticks, we are very heavily underrepresented in this world. It obviously is not on this podcast. Not on this podcast. It Yorkshire, is
2: Yorkshire, <laughs> white Yorkshire. Rose, white rose.
0: <laughs> so we do have stuff that people actually wouldn't really understand if you weren't from the north. Yeah, and I think you really tap into this audience where if you're from the south, it's quite fascinating if you're from the north it's nostalgic Mm -hmm. so on the train down today i was saying i was potting with you and i was showing my mum some of your work i'm not going to go through the whole thing but it was your village dreams uh, tapestry you have a lot of northern colloquial language in your work and it's not just england flags you have these really gorgeous uh like burlap sacks you embellish them with everything from like wreaths to badges to patches and it's it's gorgeous work whether you're a Obviously, a football fan or not, you even have sweet and tender hooligan on the Burberry fabric. And the ones that I really love, you had your exhibition at Guts Gallery,
1: yeah, that we came to. Yeah, I think this is actually a big milestone for you because you were this was your first representation by a gallery.
2: So yeah, so it wasn't actually my first show. I actually did a show with Guts back in 2020, just off the back of COVID, in the arches of Haggerston, and that's where I made a big tapestry about back home and they were all that essentially was like the work that i made coming out of csm where i made lots of trophies about losing and how it feels to lose and i made these sort of like deflated footballs and it was like these uh, casts of uh, boxing gloves that kind of looked quite they're quite phallic but quite flaccid as well <laughs> but yeah so then the the show in 2022 we're in now uh, back in February was the folk show, which I made a lot about the fantasy that England creates around itself to avoid the problems that are happening every day. and the this sort of fairy tale land that we like to believe in and brand it this, uh, like ourselves as it creates this illusion. we can get lost in it and there's so much culture and heritage for us to bind to. But when you look further into it, England was known as the, the land with no music, so it actually kind of had no culture. And that was all created from other places. So folk music was very big in Scotland, in Ireland, and they were from like working class communities or like further afield from that further back. And they told stories about how it was to live their life, a lot like country music. So at the time I was listening to a lot of country music and I found that really interesting that like you had all these communities of people. And so in this country, we had a guy called Cecil Sharp who went round and he his aim was to kind of give britain a rebrand and create this culture so he kind of like forcefully went out and found these communities and took their songs and started broadcasting them on the radio and he he made a uh, archive of them and before i made that show i went to the cecil sharp folk and dance archive in camden and it has all these books and things on this culture but I went in there to look at a tradition that we have in my village called the well-dressing. So I grew up on the South Yorkshire border in Hartill and we have the well-dressing where we give thanks to I guess the land for giving us clean water which saw us through the plague and diseases. So it's very big in Derbyshire so I'm actually on the border between the two. It's very big in Derbyshire but I've always grown up with this tradition and kind of been a bit like what the fuck is this all about? (laughs) Morris men? And you know like, like bells on your ankles and basically the thing that they do is that they bless the Morris men bless the well but the, they dress the well in this like it's like a wooden board with clay on it and they take the petals that are at the time and they cut, they basically draw something up and then they, they stick the petals to the mud and they create like a picture and then that goes in the well and it only lasts for like a week but it's such a like tedious and laborious sort of like process to make it off this thing and they carried it on but that well in our village I think it wasn't it's always been there but it was created in like later years really it was kind of all it's a bit fictional really they kind of just wanted it to create more of a like an identity for the village yeah but i remember my spanish teacher she was a morris man yeah it's just like i was kind of interested in that and like how we created this national identity out of this fiction and fairy tale and almost like lord of the rings-esque yeah you know and like middle earth yeah middle earth but that then clashing with what was happening in my life at the time and like riding around on bikes egging houses you know like <laughs> trackies tucked in socks <laughs> riding on buses and like bluetooth in songs like you know all this shit that was happening my <laughs> time but this is kind of like the central thing that's happening this clash between the two and like I remember we knocked, actually, we knocked on the door of my Spanish teacher's house, who was a Morris dancer. Who my dad, my mum actually cut his hair. We asked him if he was playing that. We'd like, when that was just classic sort of village shit. Yeah. Knock a door run or knock a door gnome, which we used to do, if you know it. You knock on the door, you stand in the garden, pretend to be a gnome. We used to, used
0: to call it gnoming. Gnoming. You yeah. knock on the door, you stand in the garden completely still, and you see how long it takes them before they go,
2: right, you, fuck off.
1: Mate, you know, there's a world weird.
0: Yeah, yeah I know. We we're so
2: bored, but. You have to um, make your own fun. Yeah. Yeah, i'm so glad that i grew up with that experience of growing Bet up you've never village.
0: been on a rope swing jordan raisin
1: It's so like I it's good a fucking rope swing
2: i didn't grow, I didn't grow up in, <laughs> in middle earth in canary wharf <laughs> like, didn't grow up in middle <laughs> earth mate
1: I'd, I'd say that that exhibition the one thing i'm thankful for for it is we got to take you back to your dancing roots
0: oh yeah we had morris dancers i say we you had morris
2: dancers (laughs) i had morris dancers there was morris
1: dancers present
0: so you had the well-dressed you had the well reconstructed in the middle of the gallery yeah and you had morris dancers who came to perform and they got people
2: on stage and you were one of them and you were
0: well into it as well
2: well i just like i wanted to resurrect and recreate the village in london that seems so alien And, like, I just remember my my fondest memory of that night is that, like, in East London, a lot of these, like, a lot of kids knocking about is just, like, so sharp, so slick, and, like, basically just, like, they walked out of Berghain and you've just got Morris men dancing at them and they're like (laughs) what the fuck is this it's like just the slow like they this culture's been displaced and just like plonked in East London and I just found it's hilarious but like I I just loved it but they Morris men they came and they blessed the well that I recreated in the gallery because the idea behind the, the exhibition was that what I wanted it to be was an exhibition of objects after a procession that I wanted to do in my village so I wanted to have these banners and have have all the people that I grew up with and that meant something to me so like you know the greengrocer, my mum being my barber the people that worked at the post office the postman himself and have them and walk down the street with these banners and go to the well and bless the well that's what I wanted but I had to get this thing out because the guy were like if you don't make this show in the next month you can't have it until like mid-2023 Bloody so I was hell. like, fuck, I'll have to do it. Because like, I just, there were so many times where it was like things, I didn't know if they were going to come true. I, I find it really hard to believe people all the time if they're actually like, they're going, oh, you're going to, uh, we'll do a show, we'll do a show, like, we'll, yeah. it'll happen. And then they came to me like, oh, you've got a show. In but, January and I was like, fuck, like, how the fuck am I going to, or in February, sorry, I was like, how the fuck am I going to do that? But it was yeah. received super well. And then down the line, you've had an exhibition Martin
1: Parr. Yeah. How did that come about? So, that was a bit of a mind-blowing one. Yeah. When you posted it, we all kind of lost our shit.
2: Yeah. Well, it's mad, like, but... Yeah, so, when I lived on Holloway Road in uni, there was a gallery at the road from me, which was Bomb Factory, and next door was Jay Hammond Project. Um, And Justin, who won Jay Hammond, he now runs Oof Magazine, and now Oof Gallery at Tottenham. We're so mad. So, that space, I met... So, Bomb Factory which was a space for artists and and studios Ellie who, who ran, who runs guts worked there. So I met Ellie there and I met Justin as well in that space. So a lot of like what is happening now is because of those people. And I'm forever thankful, but yeah, Justin, he run Jay Hammond. He moved out of that space and he set up Oof gallery in Tottenham. And, um, it's the first gallery ever to be in a football ground, and they'd done shows before that. They did Ingoland and then they came to me and they said, "We want We we've been offered to do this show with Martin Parr, but we want to. We only want to do Martin Parr if we can put him alongside some emerging artist." And they said, "We thought you would be good for it." And I was like, "What was your first Sh- reaction?" Shut shut the front door. I love it, <laughs> mate.
1: So Martin Parr is like one of the seminal British artist who really makes a statement on Britishness I suppose mm-hmm. uh, Martin Parr's probably most famous for the beach
2: the beachside yeah uh, New Brighton in yeah. Liverpool um, yeah like it's been criticised as a sort of fetishization of working class culture but like because when I first ever saw uh, Martin Parr I would have been year 10 doing photography and he was the first artist that I ever saw me too and I was like wow I, I get this but I just I remember at the time being like offended because I I grew up with my dad is just super like proud and I saw it and I was like, this just feels like it's taking the piss out of us. <laughs> and I grew up and then I loved it. But like, one of the mad things was when that was actually announced, one of the boys that I was in school with doing photography actually commented on that post, being like, this is mad. I can remember seeing uh, Martin Parr for the first time with you in our photography class. And I was just like, this is just nuts, really. But yeah, I did. Uh, they came to me and offered me that show, and I was, I'll just snatch your hand off. <laughs> You've yeah. done. Over 10
0: shows now, what has been your favourite or what has been a highlight? I've not done over 10 shows. I've done.
2: Have I? I've had a list of them, yeah.
1: Well, like online ones as well. Just in general. Just overall. <sighs> don't question it. Just accept it, mate. Just All accept right. it, corpse.
2: Okay, what was that? Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> You've done over 10 shows.
0: <laughs> Sorry. What has been your favourite or what has been a highlight?
2: Mm, um, I'd say that folk show. Because yeah. it kind of felt like a would wrapped up making work about that time of my life of being confused about who i was what i wanted to do and the village and you can't always dwell on the past and be like swallowed by nostalgia so for me it was like almost like a quite a therapeutic bit of uh artwork where i was like right now i'm moving on and i'm going to think about my life now and, cul- and what what's happening in culture right now for so it's just and just to like take a piece of like this nowhere place in like north england and plonk it in in East London, it was just like how it was just like at the moment I was just like looking around like how the true fuck is expression. This just like I just felt like I was like I've created a monster. Here. I don't know how this <laughs> is all happening, but yeah, it was that and just and the turnout for it was fucking crackers. It was brilliant. Uh, it was amazing. And do you know what? As well for me, turned to tw- it. So I came out of 2020 out of lockdown. I had a breakup with my ex girlfriend that I'd been for three years, and I had no friends. Like I had no one, and then from that there, I was making work, and I met people through social media, and I'm, you know, like went out and saw them, and then created friends, and then you know, like that met that person through there, and blah blah blah. And when I was at that, when when I did the exhibition, I looked round, and there was all these people that I'd met prior to that, just thinking, oh my god, this is insane. I never thought because I, you know, for so long in London, I just felt like I didn't belong here, and I didn't have anyone, and like all these people that like supported me and loved me and always tell me that and being at that exhibition just meant so so much to me. It like just blew my mind. Turning point. Yeah, it was nuts. I just was like, I don't know, I'll never get over it. And you went from galleries to collaborations.
0: You've shot with Fred Perry?
2: Yeah. How was that? It was good. I don't know. I just like they, I've always kind of like knocked around with the Fred Perry lot. But from we're well, not going like, back
0: then, if it wasn't for always. the collaboration, or if it wasn't for the campaign, being first approached by Fred Perry as a lad from the north, I always grew up wearing Fred Perry. And I did the campaign. Did you? A few years. back. you you've literally off, never mentioned that <laughs> bastard. But it's like from the north, you never think that it'll be you that gets the opp- uh, gets the opportunity. No. So I feel like with you working with Fred Perry, how was that to be approached? And also you've done plenty more collaborations and it's just so you've you've transcended being
2: purely an artist and you are a personality. Mm. Um. Yeah, I just a huge opportunity because it's like a part of me. I feel as much as that polo is as it, is it me. Do you, know do what you mean? still get like, imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome? Yeah. In R, oh, but not with something like Fred Perry. Yeah. With Fred Perry, I feel like I'm it's it's like my it's my world it's my realm so when you did the campaign of fred perry Mm -hmm. how did your dad receive it um it was it was a milestone like i'd he'd i'd gone down to london with this dream and i could come back and be a part of something that he understood and he knew about and that validated me you know like it was like look dad like moving down here was the right choice like i'm a part of i've done this thing like i'm i've moved down here but i'm still that same person and all them things that you taught me and who you wanted me to be i'm still that person but i'm a bit different you know i've taken what you've taught me but i've evolved a little bit and yeah well i suppose on
1: that you know how has your style like evolved because i don't think your dad would have pictured you wearing this outfit today <laughs> there's,
2: a <bit laughs> of, there's a bit of him in this Well, I suppose
1: so corbin's wearing uh like a linen white shirt Buttoned down to the, na- like the navel. and that's it. Uh, loads of gold chains and then some proper bootcut jeans yeah. with uh, some tabby loafers. Yeah. We were saying big, big 90s David Beckham vibes. Yeah. Um, but updated for now.
2: Yeah, it's just like... Um, well, that's my point of reference for men in culture that I was obsessed with. Like, I had all Beckham's haircuts when I was growing up. I had a dyed mohawk, the same as him. I really want to do a series where... I have every Beckham haircut and it's like me and him and I compare them all together. But like, yeah, I'm just obsessed Did with that bit of poop. Did you just compare yourself
1: to no, David Beckham? You are? Did you just compare
2: yourself to David Beckham? No, I'm not... Com- no, but like... Ev- <laughs> the ev- ego. The ego's <laughs> gone no. wild. No, no, no no, 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 face, no, no. There's one no, bit of no. coverage in the face. One bit of
1: coverage in the face and... Uh... No, 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 no. <laughs> so, Cobbs. <laughs> you're sewing by candlelight.
0: <laughs> you're sewing by candlelight. Nice. Your 1540 sewing machine <laughs> catches on fire because <laughs> you're making too many flags at once. Right. You have one item of clothing you can save from the house fire. What would it be and why?
2: Tabby loafers is the first thing I. <gasps> Bloody ever Nora!
0: This is—is is it the fourth person?
2: No. Everyone picks tabbies.
1: Yeah. Would but you
2: not pick your parka with all patches on it? I love I love my parka and its sentimental value. But for me, my loafers and what they represent as the first time that I sold artwork, I bought those loafers. Oh, and sick! That's that makes what they sense. mean to me. And I wear them as a way of like they're contemporary and traditional at the same time. They're everything that I want to be and make as an
0: artist. And with the Parker, because it holds so much of the past, you want to see it burn into embers. To <laughs> what are you on about? <laughs> that was mean. You know what I mean? Like the fucking. I loved it. No, a I'm here for A symbol of getting rid of the past and moving into the future. So yeah,
2: like nostalgia is a disease, isn't it? A little bit. Like get too wrapped up and in it, plagues it, and you'll myself. just start. Yeah, you are just heralding back to the good old days, and like you know, it's just like the Parker for me isn't from my generation. I took it and did something else with it, uh, and put other patches on it. But for me, I feel like that tabby loafer speaks for me more than that Parker does.
1: Well, I think so, I think this all sort of goes into what I was going to say next is like the future of Corbin Shaw. I do want to talk about you as like I suppose like a model, and we're not going to use the word influence because that's not what you do. Although you do have influence people are asking you to kind of model for them. So you've recently just done something with Blondie McCoy. You were in a Thames lookbook. Yeah. And you you maybe, maybe might be doing something with...
2: Well, you work closely with Blondie. Yeah, so... Yeah, we we did. We were just. I was just in a lookbook. Yeah, I guess. But more closely with Fred Perry. Yeah. And I got to be a part of their latest campaign and as well their exhibition at the Design Museum. And I got to wear some like historic pieces from like the collaborations that they'd done. I think I was wearing. I wore a Judy Blame top and wow. I wore the Peter Blake polo, which like means so much to me. Yeah. Um, I'm obsessed with Peter Blake, but So is there yeah. other brands that you'd like to work with? Because you're working with quite small brands
1: where you can know the person personally, whether that be like, say, Magnus Ronnie, whether it be Blondie. Mm-hmm. Is there like bigger brands where you're like, they're on your hit list? You've done, not done, but you've done... Um, Who's your dream collaboration? Fuck. There you go. You're so good at this podcast and Thank stuff. Thank you very much.
2: Um, I guess, I, I, I guess, Umbra? Fred Perry or like... Um,
1: Umbra. I feel like for
2: you. Yeah, so yeah, so I'm I'm in talks with them right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. So but there's yeah, there's something kicking off there. Maybe. Kicking Pardon off on Yeah, there we go. Really? Who are you, Daniel Lomas? Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. Now. Um but yeah, uh dream brands, yeah. Maybe that like any higher do you know, brands. Do you know what? It'd probably be Burberry. Yeah. I you know like that. i just it's that british heritage sort of something that i've grown up with but has seemed so out of my grasp you know my first job that i got the first two things that i bought were a burberry nova Sh- uh, shirt and i bought a uh, north face jacket you know like they were the two things i ever bought and i think yeah. probably burberry for me um but yeah not too keen on what burberry do right now that's but. a bit bit trash. It's not my thing. <clears throat> but still, you know. That whole but the um old Burberry, He was heading Burberry back then? It wasn't, was Christopher Bailey? Yes. Uh with the what's Alex the McLellan uh ad with you know, that had Blondie in it in like the countryside with like um what was it? Tinsley Viaduct and like the classic British uh, gents yeah here's the thing um, though Burberry for me was in the advert it's so amazing Burberry for me is actually
1: like a little bit you're a bit of an antithesis for Burberry of privileged white people uh in their adverts you know you go through it and you look at like all Cara Delavines, Eddie Redmayne's like Marcus Rashford people we know like you know this is different that's, and that's yeah. ambassadorship yeah that yeah. is different and you know that stuff was actually it was great and they actually supported him beyond just getting him in a campaign they did actually support him which is great yeah massive but for me maybe I'm a little bit older so that's what I grew up on, on like you know we've known people in their campaigns and for me it was always just like really posh white kids and yeah. like a lot of nepotism like parents in the industry
2: but I think that's what would be interesting is to break through into that world and like you know be somebody who would have worn fake Burberry caps growing up and then to finally wear the original or to do something with the original I think that would be really I don't know something special for me I just like Everything that I do and everyone that I work with will always be, like, genuine to who I am and what I've grown up with. And I think that Burberry would definitely be one of them. Aqua and would definitely... Be, but they've gone Rest under the no. Yeah, exactly. R-I-P.
1: What about, like, Charles Jeffrey? <clears throat> you mentioned him earlier. Like, that's something who definitely, like, blurs the line of, like, gender and sexuality and things like that.
2: And a lot of identity. Yeah. Like, I. I yeah, I, I recently met Charles Jeffrey, actually. Um, we're both running the London Marathon for The Face and on Running. And
1: and so is our good friend Helen. Yeah. Helen.
2: Yeah, so, and um, we over be real actually <laughs> noticed that we were both wearing on running gear and um he was like he messaged me like are you running the london marathon by any chance for on running in the face and i was like I, I am and uh yeah and then we just we started meeting up and running in victoria park but yeah charles jeffrey i've loved charles Jeffrey stuff like when i was back home uh well like when i was at leeds college of art me and my best friend at the time we'd watch all this ID content and see charles and that there was that video that he did where it was um Those three that, like, I think, uh, I don't know their names, but I know Charles and it's Jack Appleyard and there's another one. And they went to uh, New York and they did a pop-up in Dover Street Market and they were going out and all that. That, to me, I was just, like, so obsessed with. And that sort of, that ability to just do it, having an idea and just doing it, I just found so inspirational. And I remember watching Jack Appleyard speak about a suit they'd made, which was sort of a recreation of a suit that he'd worn on a night out where he'd screen printed bleach through um onto a suit and it was uh these illustrations that charles had done onto this suit and i just i thought it was gorgeous i would i would absolutely love to work with charles one day hopefully i feel like i've got a lot to do i've got a lot to do and a lot to prove myself i don't feel like i'm there yet and that i and I, I know that there's more that i can do for sure but this you know we're talking about the future here yeah of course and i'd say with the future as well
0: charity work Yes. So you sold a few of your flags for charity. Mm-hmm. And just on an internet search, yeah, obviously through our research, through four flags, you've managed to raise
2: over 13,600 quid. Yeah, I did. Yeah. That's amazing. A homoblock. block. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. So back in November last year, um, Luke Una, who. Such a mad coincidence i know that glenn kitson spoke about luke una yep. yep. absolute fucking legend like amazing guy such an inspiration to me the way that guy writes and his outlook on life is incredible and he's he is to me just like i, I don't know like it is it's almost like another father to me like he so this is so strange so through instagram we actually connected because we both support Sheffield united we're both from sheffield sorry to hear that yeah fuck off <laughs> uh <laughs> And obviously, he's from a different generation to me, but like, we, I'd liked his comment once on a Sheffield United post, uh, but through that, people had spoken about me to him, and then they brought me on to do some flags for Homo Block, Um, you know, like Manchester's like, big queer festival and I was like I'd I'd actually never heard about it before then but I I knew who Luke Una was because so one of my mates Mitch Vowles another amazing artist he goes out with a girl called Kaya and Kaya's mum is Nancy Noyes who's one of the like first female DJs and um she would have been knocking about with people in Ibiza in you know the early 80s and was a part of that like Balearic house scene and Luke was obviously a part of that I met Nancy and Nancy was like, you know what? You need to meet Luke. He's from around where you're from. And it was kind of through that. And he just somehow made his way into my life and was like, can you make us some flags for Homer Blog? And I was like, yeah, I can see what I can do. Um I was like, I would make them, but I want to auction them off for charity. So I made uh, four four banners and then we got the designs printed onto t-shirts. And then also we made a scarf together and then that was all. It was all for charity. So, but yeah, the works themselves uh, they got auctioned off, and they raised like over thirteen grand, which was amazing. Good no, yeah. on you, son. And that got split up between four LGBTQ charities. And yeah, an amazing event. Like, I got invited to it, and I went to that night, and it was such a life-changing experience to be in a space where I just felt so comfortable and I could just... It was all the music and everything that I'd ever loved and especially meeting Luke and him being who he is and how he speaks about the world and his life experiences. I was just like i know it sounds daft but like i just i was like i feel like i've got a place in the world like i'm supposed to be here and like he is someone that i can look to and be like it's okay to be what i'm like and who i am and where i'm from and i just you know i'm just in awe of him every day i I love him so much
1: everything fell into place
2: yeah
1: just like you know i don't know and then i suppose with with your um charity work I think we need to talk about running in general, but you're also like raising money right now for Stonewall. And I think, you know, if anyone listens to this podcast, you're running the marathon and you know this go, this going out in like three weeks from yeah. now. So there is people can go onto your page
2: and yeah. donate. Why was it important to support a charity like Stonewall? Um so for me, I've always had a Tell big... us what Stonewall's about as well. So it's a lgbtq charity that you know i guess funds and like they're in so many different sectors and helps the community but i first was in contact with them through homoblock and i've had such a following from like the queer community because i guess my work speaks about that feeling of being in those environments and feeling like you're outside of it and you don't feel a part of it so so much of culture itself is informed by queer people you know they've given us so much You know, like house music like for me especially and it's like why not do something where you fucking give back they've yeah. given us so so much but they never get the credit for these sort of things so i think that's for me with these people that support my work and i've always posted it and love it that i should give back to those people
1: yeah, today. no, yeah, no, it's perfect. And like, again, not to sort of hark back about old podcasts, but, you know, Jack Guinness spoke so eloquently about uh, this whole subject and, you know, identity and like allyship and the queer Bible being a place where people can go and like read like these amazing stories and like witness like these amazing things. But yeah, I thought it was really interesting that you were working with Stonewall because that's something that's definitely been brought up on the podcast before. Mm. Um, but yeah, related to that, you know, obviously wearing really baggy jeans today. Is that now, you know, you're you're a petite man. Yes. But, but my god, those thighs. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, when I met you, you just first you you started running. Yeah. And now you are a runner. And yeah. I, don't, I don't think we can talk about Corbin Shaw without talking about running now.
0: My god, I will see on Strava. So, obviously, you get people like you... I love
1: you've got Strava. Fuck <laughs> off. Yeah. It's, it's like an Instagram you lurker. Exactly, you completed every other social media, so you've downloaded Strava. He wants
2: to conquer Strava. I'm
0: a Strava lurker. <laughs> yeah. So, I'll see some of my mates who are into running, doing these mad runs. Then I'll see Corbin Shaw, my mate from down the pub, blasting about, what, 13 miles, pretty much most days and shit like that. You do... Yeah, every day. No. Maybe not 13 miles every day. But, but, you know what I mean? You run a lot. You run long distances a lot. I think a marathon was the next step in your journey. Have you done a marathon before?
2: A marathon? A marathon? No, no, no. I've done half half marathons, but... For fun. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, I just... It was always a dream of mine. Like, I came out of lockdown. When I was younger and I boxed, I ran, and I was shit at it. I was so, so bad. I was at the back every time. And then when I was in lockdown, I started running, and I just felt like... It was so good for clearing my head. And then I came out of it and I was like, imagine if I could run a half mile, how amazing that'd be. And then kept running, kept running. And like, I needed running for my sanity. And I also realized that by running, I could go away and like have my earphones in and then come up with ideas and stuff. Let my mind wander because yeah. I feel like I've got so much shit going on in my head all the time, like all these different voices. Sound like going so nuts. many bloody flags. Yeah. Well, so I just have things happening and then I'm like, I get so tired that all that calms down and I can just kind of think with i can be at one with myself sounds really hippie but like (laughs) and 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 just and and just be and it's like it's a euphoric moment i'm quite an addictive person and i just want to like that next thing and the next thing yeah and i felt that like with running i was like what if i just pushed it that bit further a bit further and i have that from boxing it was just like you know like pushing through that last 20 minutes and doing this and just what if you just got a bit further I don't think we can talk about running
1: in East London. Well, for me personally, without giving a shout out to like Mike Key, Mike Key, big up Mike. He's he's somebody who's brought together a lot of people who maybe like enjoyed running at a certain level or like not at all. You know, he's he's brought together these people and like really helped them on their journey. Such a selfless person.
2: Oh my god! Um, yeah. In
1: regards to his time and like, and actually, he's probably the biggest supporter of this podcast. <laughs> he posts it every week, and he's just like the best person. But running wise, I think if you do want to get into running, obviously they, people can message you. Mike Key is the running. guy to know
2: yeah he's the glue of
1: east london isn't he your work's like very tactile like you like it's, it's a physical thing that you can touch but like yeah. as an artist are you now looking to the future and like how how you can digitalize your work whether that be like different ways that you're able to like work within metaverse web 3.0 have you
2: ever thought about an nft no I, I really don't know that much about it um, I just or maybe one-offs no fucking chance <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what the, the, the sickest thing that I heard recently so I was at work and somebody came in and they were in a Tottenham shirt And I was like, oh, you've been to the match today. And they were like, yeah, but like, we're actually working with the gallery at Tottenham. And I was like, oh, that's funny. Like the OOF gallery. And they were like, yeah, 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 we're actually an uh, NFT company. And we're actually taking videos of goals, like so iconic goals and selling them as NFTs. And I was like, that is so sick. Do you know who I saw do that first? chris md you know the youtuber
1: oh yeah no. yeah he did a he did a um a thing with maybe like philly and some of the sidemen Chunk? no it was just some of the sidemen as well and like yeah harry pinero and it was a ch- i think i think it was a cherry maybe it wasn't but yeah they nft'd the best goal of the day right and uh yeah sold it for like a thousand that's pounds. so good that's so clever like that.
2: Like I don't know, you know. Back to the thing about selling my work and who it goes to. My aim and what I want is I want a footballer to buy my work so bad. Like I. They've like, got no
1: taste though.
2: No, no, but <laughs> they do. They do. Um, what's his name? Gary Neville owns uh, a painting by. Oh, what's his name? I forget his name, but he do, he does these paintings where they're called "Buy My Mum a House" and they literally say "Buy My Mum a House." And that when he when people sell them, when he sells them, they fund him buying his mum a house. So surely. You don't want
1: Gary Neville. You want Ryan Brewster. No, I don't want Ryan Brewster. <laughs> fuck
2: that. No, I, 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 want, I want Foden to buy my work. I want Grealish to buy my work. You know, I like. like. I I, I, I want to meet them. I want to meet... I want to just chat to them. Oh, do you know what, actually? Fuck that. The, the personality that I've seen from the England women's side is insane. Them look like so much fun. They've got 10 times the personality of the England women's. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, the boys so. have got
1: 10 times the money.
2: Yeah, but... Now big up the Lionesses though they obviously. obviously
1: no no more of like a that's an issue.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, massive issue. A massive issue. But I feel like that was such a poignant moment watching that happen like that has changed women's football forever now and how we view it. Like I my sister so. no, like my my sister when that when uh, the final finished sent in our family group chat, I've just bought a season ticket at Sheffield United Women's and my dad was like, I'll go with you. How incredible is that? Yeah. That that's that's caused that domino effect. I love that. Like, I, I, you know, I was like, it almost in tears at the end of that, watching how happy they were. Like how, and how different that environment was of watching women's football. It was that like, if this goes wrong, maybe the pub, no, the pub definitely won't get smashed up. But like after that men's final, it was it was horrible. It was awful. Yeah. Yeah. And like what happened to those footballers and what was said uh, from that minority of scum that said what they said on Twitter or wherever on Instagram, like that, like, it needs to be weaned out of football. Like those people and what they did for that club, it's just, you know, we're friendly. I hope in debt it
0: continues, as in women's football. I hope people seem to support them through friendlies. I hope we get to see it in pubs. I get. I hope that we get to see them through every major, minor tournament, every friendly, everything. I I feel like we need to keep up this energy that we had from the women's Euros. Right, we've got a bit of fucking, what, glory now, but women's football has been around for so long. These women have worked so hard for years and years to battle against men, as in... To get their shine. Yeah. Now we've got it. You lot better keep your fucking energy and be I'm, able to really I'm gonna go, get behind them.
2: Have you seen... So I'm, I'm going to go and watch the Arsenal women's because I actually met... I worked with one of the f- uh, Lionesses who plays for the side um, who made a colouring book for kids who couldn't Sick. go and watch the matches. I made Sick. a work for that that was in the colouring book. But she plays for Arsenal women's and I'm going to go and watch the side. Um, but also what I found out today is that is it Russo's boots that scored the heel? Uh, the heel what That the back heel goal are yeah. in the Tower of London next to the Crown Jewels <laughs> how Sick. fucking amazing yeah. is that go on like those Adidas boots are in next to the Crown Jewels Like
0: that would mean more to me than having fucking Joe Hart's gloves
1: when he fucking flundered it i say that's a rogue one Joe Hart's gloves Look, the you thing, know
0: when he fucking the, the, uh, the, hear that back heel and yeah. just
1: flipped it into his own the, net the, the thing is like we can sit here and talk about football and women's football for like yeah. till the cars come home because you know we're all football fans here To the line, it's, it's not a football podcast but this simple fact is the underfunding of women's football is the issue on everything because mm-hmm. until they can get the support to make this like full-time things where they can become like you know these I don't mean this in a, in a bad way but like elite athletes whereas like you know the Ronaldos they're honed in a different way because yeah from the age of eight they're honed to be this elite athlete Whereas yeah. you know the women's game doesn't have that funding or support around it until that starts happening you're not going to be able to see the grow, the viewership grow to the point where it can be there can be parity between the two essentially but that is a different podcast this podcast <laughs> It's about Corbin sure. And how he's gonna start making NFTs. <laughs> yeah.
0: And more importantly, if you were in the metaverse, Corbin, how would you dress your avatar? You can have any outfit in the world. Obviously there's no cost to it because this is your dream so This
1: is how everyone's gonna view you for the rest of your you... eternity. So tabbies, or are you gonna go like you've got them, you wanna you wanna go something different, you're gonna go for like a nice
2: No, I'd probably go like similar to what I wore to the Homework Block event, full kit Wanker probably a chef united kit full kit socks shin pads and shin pads who's on the back who's on the back so yeah danny webber it's it's the 2006 chef united kit um danny webber's on the back and i'm wearing total ninety boots the first boots that i ever owned i've even got a photo of me with those boots the moment i which color uh red and white obviously the classic yeah beautiful do
0: you remember the gold ones
2: they are the tiempo ones
0: i mean the top 90s it's like the slightly pearly top yeah ends, i know and the, the ones. gold gold I instep
2: I, I don't know if you saw this but i actually made a cast of that boot and i made it the golden boot sick
1: i've got one fashion question left Go you guys it. used to wear astro turfs to school yes yeah okay, definitely good. i'll just check in yeah, Fair yeah.
2: can we bring
0: that back <laughs> we can and on that note should we head over to the bonus questions? Yeah, let's do it. Right. Let's do it. Okay, right for this episode. Thank you very much for joining us, Corbin Shaw.
1: You've been a diamond. Yeah, we've got we've oh, gone ev- we've gone everywhere with it. We have literally gone everywhere with it. Um, so yeah, go go support uh the lionesses. Go support Pace of Mind. Go uh donate money to uh Corbin's. So we covered a lot of ground here. I suppose the headlines are: go Both support the lionesses, and also go onto to Corbin Shaw's Instagram. And make sure you click the link in bio and donate as he's running the marathon, and the idea of running that is hell. I will pay so that I don't have to do it myself. Me so too. That's
0: where my money's going. I will donate the marathon fund to you. Yeah, one hundred percent. What's the joining fee? What for? No, he's doing the He's doing the I don't have to oh, pay you're doing the face? Fair enough. Pa- price of a pint. Donate that. What, in London? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you expect me to spend 56 quid. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, no. Corbs, it's been amazing. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. No Join us on the bonus episode. Lots big of love, love, guys.
2: Thank you for sticking around. Take care. Can I give a big shout out? Yeah, go, go for it. Shout out, mum. Shout out, dad. Shout out, Flora, my girlfriend, really? and Charlie and Hugo, and Charlie's brother, who's a big fan of Danny, called Alex Brewer. <laughs> He always asks about him. He'll probably hate that if I keep that in.
1: We'll keep that and in. Shout out Danny Lomas.
2: <laughs> Shout out Danny Lomas. Two S's because you can't. Shout out them. Yorkshire. <laughs> Big love, Yorkshire. North East. White Rose, White Rose.
1: White Rose, White Rose. This is the White Rose. White Rose. <laughs> Lots of love. Toodles. You are you are DJ Q, like one. MC Bones like woah, HUD like woah We bring the vibe like woah, cars up and drive like woah Rush off the beats like woah, gotta make peas like woah round and big body like woah, name on the fly like woah Payroll getting high like woah
0: hey,